approximately 15 minutes to 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you ask yourself any time, how do I live for God? How do I live out my faith when everything, just quote unquote, everything is so messed up, when society no longer admires the fact that I'm a Christian and as a matter of fact opposes me, when I don't, there's, when structures that I used to have to facilitate my faith aren't there anymore, when I'm treated unjustly or suffer unfairly just for trying to do what's right, or when I suffer for some other reason and things aren't, just aren't like what they used to be, how do I live out my faith? If you ever ask yourself that, please read the first, please read First Peter. Because he wrote in a world to readers, in a world pretty much like ours, with many of the same things going on. And we're not going to cover a lot of what he teaches about, but he does have a theme that goes through this letter, which he reminds us of in several occasions, and that is to live according to the law of love. And we know if we think back to Jesus when he was on earth, that's what he established. He told us, and these are just very quick reminders of how he laid the foundation. He told us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, our God, with, it, with everything. And then he said the second is like unto it, but that like unto it doesn't mean similar or kind of like it means it goes with it, it's attached to it, it can't really be separated. He also told us that people will know who his followers are by the way we love each other. So as we think not only of our, our own life and how we walk, but of the great commission which we are joined in here and in Spain and in many other places, and we ask ourselves how to do that it can't be done without living according to the law of love. The New Testament writers after Jesus take Jesus' basic teachings and then they work them out into daily life, into family life, into our walk, into the life of the church. That's why they talk so much about how to treat each other and because they're, they're detailing what love looks like. Paul in... Galatians chapter 6, when he argues so forcefully against going back to a legalism based on the Old Testament law, he says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, because the law of Christ is love, and carrying one another's burdens is one of the ways that we love each other. So love will always, love as the New Testament writers define it and describe it, will always let us help us to know what's right. It'll help us to know uh, which way to go, how to treat each other, how to respond to things. It's the law of Christ. So as we think of our lives and the Great Commission, we know that this, this isn't a very structured uh, definition of the Great Commission or of the Christian life, but Ephesians does tell us, uh, Paul does tell us in Ephesians 4.15, that the church will mature as we speak the truth in love. 
So we have to understand the truth and accept it and base our lives on it and proclaim it, of course. But that has to be accompanied by, by love. So when Peter speaks to us about how to live in this kind of world that we're living in, with all that we could say about it, he comes back to living by love. And I invited you to look at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. We could go to verse 12 because that's the extension of this thought. It goes into verse 12, but at least verse, verses 8 and 9, Peter does what Paul does in some other places, and he tells us what love looks like. So I just want to invite us to review these things and where we have to refocus, refocus our thought, our thinking, and especially keeping in mind that we're living in times where, where, where we get rattled because things, there are things out there to rattle us and things aren't like they used to be and, and everything we've, we've kind of already mentioned. So in those times, how do we refocus? How do we, in Spanish, they say, center ourselves, come back to um, get redirected, and that is going to be by following the law of love. And this is an important part of our testimony. Peter says that as well when he talks in chapter 2, verse 12, about keeping your um, conversation or conduct or behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And he's not talking there strictly about non-Jewish folk. He's talking about unbelievers. So our testimony before unbelievers has also got to be guided by love. So again, these verses say, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. These verses may seem, and they are a little bit just picked out of the middle of a longer passage, so don't take this as the final whole teaching of this. Go back, read the whole letter of 1 Peter, and just um, review this. But notice these things as you come across them, because they'll call us back to guiding our behavior, guiding our words, guiding our thinking, and helping us focus in the times in which we live. So, first of all, Peter says, finally, and it's easy to see that he's saying, in summary, to sum up or to conclude, Peter had, has been teaching us up until this point about our relationships in different social settings, such as the family, specifically um, marriage. He's been talking about how we should act before the world. He's been talking about how we should act in the workplace, and he's been talking about how we should act and think in response to government. And so he says, in everything, or to sum all this up, what he's going to tell us. First, be ye all of one mind. And we immediately think of Paul telling us the same thing when he tells us to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. And then he demonstrates how that mind is the mind of love and service and giving and so on. So one of our, the beginning point for us is to decide that we're going to meet at this place. As a church body or as individuals or as family, our like-mindedness is going to be that we all accept that the law of love is going to guide us. And 
be all of one mind is have the same mindset, think in the same way, all accept this, this overall overarching law or guideline for our conduct, which is love. So first, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. And this is probably in God's word, I would say, one of the characteristics that most reflects love or most lives out love, the word compassion. The word compassion, as you can see pretty much by reading it, really means to have the same passion. But the word passion in the New Testament is used to refer to our feelings or our emotions, what we go through and how we live that, how we experience that. Some versions, I believe, uh, say to be sympathetic. I would use the word empathy, which is basically being tuned into how other people feel and doing what the Bible tells us to do. Paul, for example, in Romans 12, 15, I believe. I know it's Romans 12. I think it's 15 where he says, uh, yes, 15, rejoice for those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's harder for some of us to do than it is for others. But love calls us to enter into other uh, people's emotional experience of what they're going through. It's a way of identifying with each other, and it's a way of loving one another. The Bible teaches us that hatred isn't only having a malicious intent or having intentional harm towards someone. Hatred, according to 1 John, John and 1 John, is actually withholding what we should give them and not loving them. So it's not enough to say, well, I don't really love them, but I don't feel anything to them, and I'm, not, I'm just not anything. No, that's actually when we, when we don't love someone that is our neighbor, according to the definition of Jesus, then John says we're actually hating that person, and he says we can't love God if we're not doing that. So compassionate, and Paul uses the same um, words and the same expressions and outworkings of love, compassion to one another. I just encourage us, this is, I say us because this is actually hard for me to do. And I know a few people that are, by nature, they're more, they're more empathetic. And if you're, if you're really rejoicing, they seem to get enthused and pumped out, up about that too. If you're uh, suffering and hurt and... Um, having a hard time, they more easily enter into that. And you know how that type of person ministers to you. But God calls us to develop that and weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So be compassionate with one another. And then he says, love as brethren. Love as brethren. You know that this is the biblical world word for love, which just means the kind of love that we have as a family. And you know what it is to love each other as a family just because they're your family members, so you just love them. And there are highs and lows, but at the end of the day, your, your parents and children or your brothers and sisters or cousins or whatever, so you have that bond. And that bond should keep the church united as well because the church is a family. And there's so much to be said nowadays, probably more than ever, that God did not design a Christian life that could be lived alone. That's, that just, 
I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian and not be at any particular moment in a church, but the Bible just never says anything about that. On the contrary, it says to live the, the living the Christian life is lived in community, it's lived in family, and we're reminded over and over again to love as brethren. It's, it's just sharing, it's sharing life, it's walking together, it's fellowship together, it's being with each other, companionship, help, uh, things that... I know you as a church family, I would say from experience, excel at. Excel at. It's, it's just, you've always been that way. But that can't be dropped. It can't, we can't be abandoned. The brotherly love that links us together and the practice that goes with it. It's a uh, very strong outworking of love. Uh, possibly and maybe over the last year, uh, we haven't been able to keep track of all our supporting churches, how each of them has navigated through the very difficult uh, waters that um, COVID has presented. Uh, but it may have been, maybe it's been hard to practice this. Certainly for our church in Spain, that we've had to meet by Zoom, as I said, because of restrictions now of space and everything. We have to be creative, but we've got to do it to find ways. Find ways to, to express brotherly love. Find other ways to be hospitable. Find other ways to help. Find other ways to reach out, etc. So, love as brethren. Then he says, um, be pitiful. Be pitiful. The Sorry, I lost my place in my notes. Yes, when he says be pitiful, some versions translate this word as compassionate. Um, the Spanish Bible translates it as merciful. But really, it's a word that's in the Greek referred to your, your insides, because back then, the, the visualization of your emotion and your strong feeling was that it came from your insides. Now we would refer to our heart as the seat of emotions. But really, it just means to be tender with each other, to be merciful, compassionate. These words overlap a lot. To have a generous disposition, to have a friendly disposition. It's everything that would go along with a tenderness that comes from our inside, it comes from our heart to each other. What a wonderful and beautiful outworking of love that that is. Then he says, be courteous. Be courteous. I like the Spanish translation. It says to be of a humble spirit. Some versions say to be humble. The word literally means not to be high-minded, not to have our mind lifted up. That's a, a good picture of pride or arrogance, but to be humble. Love requires us to allow other people to, to go first, to allow other people to, um, to have the more prominent position, to not feel like I have to come out on top or impose myself, just general humility. It's a great characteristic of love, maybe one of the hardest for us because of our brokenness and sinfulness. Our, our, our flesh just defaults so easily and so constantly toward, toward pride and toward uh, doing things. And some of us who are Christ have been Christians for a long time and are good at this, 
we still tend to want to do things so that it's noticed, so that other people notice how good we are or that we're better or whatever. But let's recognize when that's not being humble. Be pitiful, be courteous. And then in verse 9, he starts another series of phrases which all of a sudden kind of ratchets up the intensity of what he's speaking. Because these previous things, maybe we can, I don't know, they're, they're, the expressions of them may be less noticeable, or if we aren't this way, it can be camouflaged easier, or maybe the things are just easier to do. But when Peter starts talking about not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, all of a sudden, that's, that's more difficult. Because you've, you've been hurt, you've been railed at, the word is uh, insulted, you've been treated evilly. Peter talks about pe people that suffer unjustly, and he has a lot of teaching on that. That's, that's great teaching as well that I would encourage you to go back and look at, or ahead also, and look, and look at. But when that happens to us, Peter says, the way of love is not to respond in the same way. And we remember Jesus teaching about that, right? When he, Matthew 5, when he talks about the cloaks and the, and the mile and all that, he's, this is the, what it, the teaching that he's doing, is that when someone uh, acts in a wrong way to us or unjustly, we can't do the same, that's not licensed to do the same or treat them the same way. And then if it could get any worse or any harder, he adds to that, but contrary-wise, blessing. Really? So on top of having to, whatever, bite my tongue or get rid of that idea of how I could hurt that person or squelch that instinct to retaliate, retaliate I actually have to bless them instead. It's just, it's not hard to understand. I know it's incredibly difficult to do. That's just what the word tells us to do. That's what love is. I'm, there are several things I'm not saying. I don't think that means that we can live closely with everybody. Uh, some relationships just have to be more distant. There are dangerous people that we just have to separate because they might harm our family or, or the ministry. And distance is also uh, one of the teachings in some cases of God's word. So sometimes the blessing maybe should come from a distance where we remember those people and we, we, instead of thinking, oh, I would be so glad if they fell or, oh, look, it's going really bad for them now. Ah, finally, everybody's going to know that I was right. Instead of that, praying God's blessing on them. Uh, it's, it's difficult, but it's what God calls us to do. And then finally, and we'll finish here, Peter adds a phrase that to me is very precious because he uses it a couple other times in his letter when he gives us an especially hard instruction. And that is because, sorry, knowing that ye are thereunto called. Peter starts out his letter right away calling us called people. And in another case where he gives a very hard instruction, he says, we're called to Christ. And if these things are hard, either the more simple outworkings of love or these especially hard ones when we're mistreated, let's remember who we're called to. Because we're called to Christ, we're called to Jesus. And 
Our calling, of course, is when we respond to the gospel and we put our faith in Christ, this calling is the transaction that takes or culminates, I should say, in, in the transformation that ends up in our being included in Christ, as Paul so vividly describes. So we are in Christ. So we identify with Christ. We're a part of him. We belong to him. We're to follow him. We're to have intimate communion with him. We're to imitate him, not from a distance, but because we are in him, we're with him. And that means we are called to and in and with and identify with a person who was very unfairly mistreated, who responded this way, who suffered, who was reviled, who blessed when that happened to him. That's what we're called to. So we need to choose to walk that way because that's our life now. That's our life now. Our life is in Christ and how can it be any different than Christ is or than his life was? So maybe just to conclude this, that could be the final thought. We are in Christ, and in Christ we need to walk according to his law, which is the law of love. He calls you and me to live love. God will do his work. He'll build his church, and Jesus said he would do that. Here and abroad, we praise him for that. What's our part in that, besides the proclamation of the truth and other things which we haven't touched on tonight, is to walk in love and to live in love. And may God empower us and bless us and bless you and empower you as you do that. I'm going to ask, if you don't mind, I would just like to pray for you because I would like to thank God um, before you, for you, and just ask his blessing on you.